I can't believe everyone and their mother has them as title contenders for four trophies. I don't see it. I don't. I look at MLS history and I look at the way this league is built on parity. And I, I get it. Alba Busquets, Suarez and, and Messi. I get it. But those are older players. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking an MLS preview with Taylor Twelman, the return of UCL, the U.S. Men's National Team striker hierarchy, the Club World Cup, Alexander the Great, the Great Girl Scout cookie debate, the gospel of American soccer, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding lights... David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Wednesday, February 14th in the year 2024? I'm doing well. Happy Valentine's Day to our female listeners and to the females that work on the show here. Okay. Well, it's to everybody, right? I mean, Valentine's Day is for everybody. And uh, happy Valentine's Day to everybody, whether they have a Valentine or not. All right. You are worthy of love and affection and attention and praise. I know at times these uh, these days can make people feel lonely and, and lost and that kind of stuff. And we don't want that to happen out there. Um, Mossy, uh, speaking of wonderful things and, and love, um, do you eat... Uh, uh, Girl Scout cookies. I have. You have had them, right? Do you, have you? When was the last time you bought them from Girl Scouts or something like that? Uh, I bought a box from Ian Joy's uh, Lovely Kids. Got it. Uh, well, it is the season, my friend. We are in Girl Scout cookie season. Uh, there is always a annual debate as to what the best Girl Scout cookies are. My wife, God bless her, um, the other day a girl came to our door that was selling Girl Scout cookies, and she we just loaded up. But she knows, and she agrees, thankfully, one of the reasons why I married her, that there is really only one Girl Scout cookie as far as I'm concerned, and that is the Thin Mints. Uh, you can see here my post from today extolling the virtues of this. Now, there are a lot. I mean, if you go on to the, uh, the Girl Scout site and you look at the number of cookies that they have, it's all over the place. Uh, I'm really interested because this is always, like I said, a debate and a controversy as to what is the best. I believe that it's Thin Mints. I don't think that there is any, num any other one. And by the way, if, there, if you have your Thin Mints, you put them in the freezer. So it is frozen thin mints. They are the best Girl Scout cookie by a long shot. And anybody that disagrees is absolutely ridiculous. But send in your, uh, uh, your, uh, your, your idea of what the best cookie is there, because I know there might be some disagreement out there. Before we started taping, I saw you having an animated conversation with Kat about this. Are you two on the same page? We are on the same page, especially when it comes to freezing them, uh, which makes it, they're already good. And then it just makes it that much better when you actually freeze. And I know there's people out there that are nodding their heads in agreement out there. And I know there's people out there that are shaking their heads back and forth saying, oh, no, the s'mores are the best. Or the lemonades or the lemon ups or the peanut butters or the toastias. Or the, and it goes on and on because there are there are so many cookies out there. But it's for a good cause. And I just love this time of year because there's nothing like a sheath. They come in two sheaths. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to do it, do it right. And that is where you eat the entire sheath. There is nothing like a good sheath of thin mints to start off your day. Uh, have you watched anything, my friend? On a lighter note, uh, you recommended a true crime podcast uh, last time out, uh, Paradise Lost. I have started watching that. It's three episodes. I've watched the first two. I'm going to finish it tonight. I didn't steer you wrong, though, did I? It's uh, gripping for sure. It is gripping. It is. It's one of those in the pantheon uh, out there that it's yeah. It's it, it's nuts for those that haven't. And it's three. Uh, it's three different episodes over the years. I mean, a span of many many years. They follow the uh, the story, and so you got the third one that comes up. I am watching. Alexander, the making of a god. This is over on Netflix about Alexander the Great, and you know the way that he was kind of brought up to believe that he was a god or the descendant of a god and then went out and conquered <laughs> Persia and everybody uh, and, uh, and everything uh, from Little Macedonia and all that kind of stuff. I think they do a really good job of mixing the, um, I guess, the educational and the documentary type of, uh, uh, of the way that they're talking about it with 
a dramatic type of effect. So there are actors and they reenact types of stuff. Obviously, we don't know exactly what happened, but it's a really, I think that they've done a really good job. It's multiple episodes. I'm still not done, but it, it's making an impression already so much so that I thought that I would uh, talk about that. Um, Masia, yeah, should we light the candle? Let's do it. Well, as we mentioned, we have an interview with the great Taylor Twelman. He's come back to the State of the Union and he's gracing us with his presence. So let's get to that with no further ado. As promised, welcome back, Taylor Twelman, to the State of the Union. Taylor Twelman over there on Apple TV, the face, the voice in everything that happens over there on Apple TV and their broadcast of Major League Soccer. Hey, buddy, your your uh, your noggin has gotten bigger. Uh, you mm-hmm. look wonderful. Uh, you are coming to us from uh, down there in Miami, where you're getting ready to do yet another messy game uh the inter miami playing against newell's old boys that'll happen tomorrow we're recording this on uh, wednesday hey quick before we get into this uh we were having mm-hmm. a discussion in our opening segment um about uh girl scout cookies do you have a favorite girl yeah. scout cookie tagalong oh fuck Unequ- unequivocally tagalongs it's not even a debate and what anyone is- that tries to tell me thin mints or uh, samoas no 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 it's a tagalong Put it in the freezer, done. Oh, my God, you are ridiculous. There is only one cookie, as I explained in our opening segment, and it is Thin Mints. But I'll, I'll get past that. Hey, listen, um, so this is the <laughs> second year of this uh, $70 billion deal with Apple and all this kind of stuff. And we watched as it happened last year. And obviously, it's a subscription service, and you got to have Apple. And uh, it's every Saturday night and all the different games. From your perspective... How do you think this partnership has gone in terms of the broadcasting and the production? And how do you think it's playing out there with MLS fans who are being asked to migrate over to Apple in order to get their MLS fix? Well, first and foremost, since you and I have been involved and since this league has been around, around, I would say you and I would both agree that the video quality was exponentially better than anything we have seen. So take a look at that. You look at the audio stuff. I'm more intrigued for year two, Alexi, because as you know better than anyone in this television world, what you do in year one tells you what went well and what didn't go well. So how do you fix it in year two? I think Major League Soccer's got a better understanding of what they want to do with their product, how they want to deliver it. I think Apple's got a better understanding of what they need to improve on. Will we see that in week one? Buddy, you're, you're as good as I am. I have no idea. But I do think because of League's Cup and the way Messi lit it on fire last year, I think there's a little bit more energy behind let's get this thing rocking and rolling a lot sooner than we did last season. So you don't you're, you can't let us in on anything that we are going to see new. I saw that the uh, you know the the the, the 360 uh, thing is happening in Spanish and all that kind of stuff. I'll be honest with you, Taylor. I I consumed MLS last year almost completely through this 360 because of that window. And let's be honest, it's a select and small window relative to the past that you watch MLS teams. But anything new, either on or off the field, relative to what Apple is going to do? I think you're going to see a lot more game action during MLS 360 than what we saw last season. I think there's going to be a real understanding within the production crew that they want to make it a lot like the red zone and a lot like a whip around show where you're getting in the stadium feel the announcers that are at the game. Um, I, I, I like the concept. I think the idea works. I think there's a good debate about the schedule as well. Alexi. I think I I've read many of your uh, social media tweets and posts about this. I do think there's a good debate about owning a little bit more of a bigger landscape but you got to walk before you run. And right mm-hmm. now that's what Apple TV and major league soccer are trying to do. But I think 360 this season, and I think it's fantastic on the Spanish side, the fact that they're going to have it now, I think it's important that you go to the stadiums and sell the ambiance and the atmospheres and, and the crowds in the cities that we've all grown to love and seen as this league has grown, you got to get more of that throughout the broadcast in 360. And I think you're going to get that this year. Uh, Taylor, on the field, the last repeat MLS Cup winner was the Galaxy in 2012. The last time Columbus won it in 2020, they promptly missed the playoffs the following season. How well do you think they'll defend their crown this time around? It's a good question, dude. It's a real good one. I I think there's two real good... Is there another repeat of MLS Cup? One, can Columbus repeat, which is your question. Two, can LAFC be the first team to go back to, to, to three straight MLS Cups 
since the New England Revolution did it in 05, 06, 07, when, yeah, yeah, uh, we lost three in a row. Uh, I think Columbus can repeat. I think they're the sexiest team in the league. I think every single time, and Alexi talked about this when he was a GM, he talked about this when he's now been on television, you've got to sell your product. You've got to entertain. Columbus does that every week. Wolf Nancy doesn't even talk about the opposition when they're preparing for games every week. He's talking about his team and putting on a show for his fans. I think a full season with Diego Rossi and Kucha Hernandez together. I think some of their players that were out with injuries last year, now coming in, some of the younger players coming up from MLS Next Pro. To answer your question unequivocally, I think the Columbus crew could repeat as MLS Cup champions. All right, it's taken us a couple questions to mention Messi, which is strange in and of itself, given it's how so important he's been. <laughs> All right, so you're you're down there. You're going to see Messi in yet another exhibition. We just uh, you know saw the uh, the interesting. Um, preseason trip that they had here, but the, the dude is a phenomenon and, and it's messy. Yep. One of the greatest players ever to play the game. Obviously you have to sell him, but now this is the first season that we are going to see him with Miami mm. in a full season. How do you think the, for lack of a better phrase, the messy experiment functions in a 2024 context, especially after what happened uh, with him in a half year abbreviated type of situation last year? Buddy, we could do an entire podcast on this. I, I, I can't believe everyone and their mother has them as title contenders for four trophies. I don't see it. I don't. I look at MLS history, and I look at the way this league is built on parity, and I, I get it. Alba Busquets, Suarez, and, and Messi, I get it. But those are older players. There's not a ton of tread left on those tires. From what I've seen from Suarez, he's been offside 21 times in his first four games for inner Miami, there's not a continuity in the final third and everyone's going to come back at me. And a lot of people are saying, Oh no, they're going to set a record. They're going to win the supporter shield. Alexi. I think they're up against it. I think Farias's ACL injury is going to make it real difficult. Kramaski's got a sports hernia that he's going to have to deal with. The rumors they're going to bring in Redondo. If they do that, they've got to get rid of two players already. So is that Taylor? Is it Kristoff? Is it Yedlin? whoever it may be because of the salary cap and the way they're trying to build this roster, Alexi, you're relying on four old players and the X factor being the 37 year old Luis Suarez, who from all accounts can't train four days in a row without having his knee balloon up. I get it. He had 43 gold contributions in Brazil. I don't think the Brazilian Serie league is really good in defending. He's going to come to this league and he's going to come into this climate and the time zones and the travel. Alexi, I think they're up against it. I think they're lucky if they win one trophy. I really do. Ooh, love it. Uh, Taylor, we just covered Conmebol's Olympic qualifying tournament. It was littered with MLS <laughs> players, which speaks to this emphasis now on signing younger Latin American players. Yes. But at the same time, Emil Forsberg looks like he could be a good signing for the Red Bulls. You've got Suarez in Miami. What do you make of this balancing act now that MLS teams do of mostly going young, but still being on the lookout for that right world-class veteran when he becomes available? Yeah, I think the MLS has improved on it. I think both of you would agree. I think there was a time when any veteran that wanted to come over, you signed him. And I think that kind of bit them a little bit. I, I, I go back to Pirlo, Lampard, and that New York City, Steven Gerrard. Those didn't really pan out. And that was the transition period where the league said, you know what, we need to get younger. I watched a lot of those qualifiers. I love seeing the young, hungry player that wants to use Major League Soccer as a stepping stone to get to Europe. You saw what Tiago Almada did. You see what Gomez has done, and he's going to be a big player for inner Miami. I like seeing that. I think the balance has to be more younger than older in saying that though, when Suarez says he wants to come, when Messi says he wants to come, when Busquets, these are generational type players that can still contribute on some level. I just think the bigger debate is you put four on one team does it really work? I think Forsberg's going to be a home run in the Red Bulls. They've got to supply him with more players around him. That's not his issue. That's a Red Bull issue. But I like the balance, and I still think it needs to go a little bit more younger because I'd rather come on this podcast and talk with you guys about the transfer window coming around, and every single time there are six to ten players in MLS being scouted by teams around the world because that means now you're in the conversation of the world market. And I think that's bigger growth than Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard coming over for their swan song. 
29 teams this year, going to 30 teams next year with Saint, uh, with uh, with San Diego. Uh, I know near and dear to your heart is St. Louis, and there's so many different storylines that we could talk about here. Obviously, the incredible inaugural season last year with St. Louis and what happened both on and off the field, but also you have a potential comeback of Colorado with all the signings. Those are a couple of them, but I want to I give you the opportunity to talk about what St. Louis is, or I guess was last year, and if they can continue on, and then maybe some other stories that we should be looking for, bigger stories or smaller smaller ones. I mean, let's see you and I've had so many cocktails around this conversation about (laughs) St. Louis having one of the few cities where it's in the fabric and the heartbeat of the city where you could go anywhere in the city and you can talk about the beautiful game. Now, more often than not in St. Louis, it was a conversation about the amateur ranks, about the local high schools and the club teams and boys and girls that have made it to the pros and represented the United States in World Cups and even Bosnia with with Vadad when he came through recently, it was always in the conversation and in the vernacular. But there was never a mechanism for that city to show that. And oftentimes they said it was the return of soccer to say it, it was a homecoming. And the number I keep repeating to everyone is St. Louis City has 29,000 plus season ticket deposits on the wait list. That's how many people love and breathe and die for that. Now they've got City Park, great stadium. They've got a team that outkicked their coverage by a million miles last season. Now they've got a little pressure, a little expectation, and that city's knowledgeable. So if St. Louis doesn't come out and play well right away, now all of a sudden Bradley Carnell and that front office, Lutz Fondenstiel and company, they're going to feel pressure. They're going to feel what St. Louis is, that knowledge and that history comes from. I think they're up against it. I think they're going to be good, but are they going to be the number one seed in the West? I don't think they're going to be, but I also think it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to that unexpected achievement that they had last season. Uh, the last two MLS Cups have been won by coaches in their first year with the club, Tarunalo and Wilfred Nancy. Mm. We had some interesting coaching moves this offseason, Phil Neville in Portland, Caleb Porter in New England. Which coaching change fascinates you the most? Which one do you have your eye on? Well, Caleb Porter would be the first uh, MLS coach in the history of the league to win three MLS Cups with three different teams. He did it with Portland, did it with Columbus. Now it's sink or swim when Caleb Porter's at the helm. It's either playoffs or it's either MLS Cup or they don't make the playoffs. And that's what we saw a little bit in Columbus. I think when you look at the four big coaches uh, in situations where they're going to succeed, and with all due respect, Dean Smith and that roster in Charlotte, they need a lot of help there. Portland has two DP spots open. He Phil Neville doesn't even know what his best 11 is, let alone his roster. I'm not going to choose that. Chris Armas, intriguing. What he learned from Manchester United, what he learned with Leeds, 28 different transactions led by three U.S. internationals coming back. I don't think they're ready to go right away. And then I look at Caleb Porter, and I see Caleb Porter, and I say, hang on a minute. This roster is built to win. He's similar to Bruce Arena in his man management, but – He's a little bit more dialed in and structured on the tactics. That's what Carlos Hill and company have talked about since Bruce has left. That roster is ready to go. Now, John Herman in Toronto may be saying, well, look at the roster I have. John Herman's still worried about serving Italian ice at team meals versus having both Bernardeschi and Insigne for a full 10 months. I think it's Caleb Porter. I really do. I think Caleb Porter is the one where you look at that roster and say they've got a lot of talent. They're ready to win. They were good when Bruce was at the helm. Can they have a rebirth a little bit? I think it's going to be tricky with that locker room. But if they win early, I'd be shocked if Caleb Porter doesn't make a run. Hey, at least they got a coach, unlike the loons up there in uh, Minnesota. <laughs> Wait, Minnesota's playing? They're playing this year? Yeah, evidently they're in uh, MLS. Uh, someone better tell them that the, uh, the the league kicks off here in a week. Uh, one more question MLS-wise, and then I want to transition uh, and finish up the interview with uh, U.S. men's national team talk. Uh, big picture type of stuff. If you were given the keys to the castle over there when it comes to MLS, either on or off the field, things that you would like to see happen, because as we know, 2026 is coming, this big, wonderful moment of opportunity is coming and I argue that if there's ever a time for MLS to do big bold dare I say right arrogant now. things right this now. is it give me give, give me some things that you think they should be doing first and foremost just just salary cap flexibility Alexi Re- reward the teams that want to go spend and I'm not saying you don't need to have a salary cap and you don't need to have rules just allow a little bit more flexibility right away I would have started 2024 and 2025 especially 
with three DPs, three U22s. Don't have the stipulation. You need one in order to go get the other three. Just allow that to happen. Allow a little bit more growth. Look at what Inter-Miami is doing. Fagundo Farias tears his ACL. Redondo is being recruited by Bayern Munich, by two or three clubs in Syria, Barcelona, Real Madrid. They all want Federico Redondo. And yet, more than likely, he's going to end up for Inter-Miami in 2024. If you have, if you're at the precipice, you said it, Club World Cup, Copa America, the World Cup coming here, all the eyeballs on Apple TV with Messi playing now, you have that. You can literally say to Liga MX, you are no longer in our stratosphere. We are now going to outperform you off the field, outspend you, and then ultimately make more money because we're exporting more players to the bigger clubs in Europe. Alexi, I would have done that tomorrow. Now I get, I get because there's technical directors and GMs and presidents tell me they couldn't do it right now because they operated the first six months last season with the expectation that there would be salary cap in 2024. But the moment 2025 steps, Alexi, that's what I'm doing. I'm allowing this thing, taking the training wheels off with certain guidelines but allow a little bit more flexibility. And I think we'd see a few more identities with each franchise because certain teams would say, we're going to do it with the younger players. Certain teams would say Miami, we're going to spend a ton of money on older players, but you can have a little bit more diversity when it comes to the identity of some of these franchises. Uh, last MLS one from me. Uh, I've argued that in trying to have their cake and eat it too, a weird dynamic has been created between the Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. You had FC Cincinnati players this offseason chirping that they were the real league champions and not Columbus. And there are smart people like your colleague Matt Doyle who argued that the Supporter Shield is the better trophy to win. I can't think of any other league that crowns a champion at the end of the season and people argue there's a different trophy that's more worthwhile to win than the championship of the league. What do you make of this whole Supporter Shield MLS Cup dynamic? Alexi, who won the President's Trophy last year in the NHL? No, no clue. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Boston Bruins did. They set a record, and guess what? They lost in the first round. And nobody in my city of Boston is sitting there saying, "Hey, but we won the President's Trophy." Listen, I went to grade school with Pat Noonan. We've known each other for years. The moment he said that, don't think that I didn't text him, and don't think I didn't say, hey, well, "Dude, we lost three MLS Cups." We lost three MLS Cup. We don't sit there and say, yeah, but we won the Supporter Shield. MLS Cup is what puts the star in the trophy. And until that changes, someone's going to have to tell me that the Supporter Shield is more important. I'm not saying it's not an accomplishment. I'm not saying that. But the star on the crest is for MLS Cup. It is not for the Supporter Shield. It is not for League's Cup. And it's not for CONCACAF Champions Cup. It is not. It is for MLS Cup. So until that changes... We, we are literally telling the fan, guess what? The most important thing is MLS Cup. And if Cincinnati won MLS Cup, they would be telling you that right now. Mark my words. Yeah, you know it. Show me someone that's uh, screaming and yelling about winning a supporter shield, and I'll show you someone that lost an MLS Cup. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's, uh, let's, quickly, let's quickly shift over to the U.S. men's national team. You mentioned it. Big few years coming up leading up to 26, and obviously this summer with uh, Copa America. How important is this summer for Greg Berhalter and this national team and for him individually in terms of going on? Because I, th I, I maintain that this is a Fisher cut bait type of moment. Agreed. If you're ever going to make a change, it happens this summer. Is that fair? And do you think that that's ultimately what's going to happen this summer in terms of the assessment of him? I think it's more than fair. I think it's real. I think it's, it's exactly what it should be because truth be told, Alexi, if, if this summer falls flat, the project's not dead if you're worried about the World Cup. This is 24. It's not the summer of 25. I 100% agreed with you. Uh, everything about this summer is massive. First off, and I've heard you and Stu Holden talk about this, and I completely agree. Name me the significant win of this generation. We Someone's got to see that. At some point, you've got to have that. And I get it. You got out of the group at the World Cup in 2022. But it hasn't been that signature win that definitive win that can then make all of us that have called you the golden generation of the American player actually look smart. Cause until that happens, I can give you bigger wins with lesser talented generations up to this point. I think the summer provides you the opportunity to do so, but I think it is the most important 
period of time for the U.S. men's national team prepping for the World Cup. Because I've said this since the moment I've gotten on TV. I don't need to see the U.S. men play Panama, Costa Rica, Trinidad anymore. I don't. Because if the goal is to win a World Cup, then you've got to find a way to survive South America. You've got to find a way to survive Europe. That is where the quality of the world occupies and lives and thrives. And until you do that, you don't know that answer. Now, granted, Panama is in their Copa America group. That's part of the equation. But Alexi, I don't need to see another CONCACAF game. I don't. The U.S. men need to be tested against the best in the world if the aspirations are to win a World Cup. This summer provides that. And if they are flat, the way we saw in the second game against Trinidad, I get a January camp game, but it doesn't matter. Against the Slovenia, you can't, it can't be flat anymore. There's no more, well, Greg's finding his feet. No, he's not. He's been at the helm for how long? This is his second tenure. I think all the pressure in the world needs to be on Greg, needs to be on the players to perform this summer. And if they do, rock and roll, let's go. But if they don't, you've got to be strong enough to recognize maybe a change is needed. I think all the pressure in the world needs to be on Greg Berhalter. I really do. Uh, when you came on last year at this time, Christian Pulisic was wallowing on the bench at Chelsea. I asked you about him. You said he had to go somewhere where he was going to start every week, even if that meant taking a step back. Uh, fast forward, when your Gio Reyna found himself in a similar situation at Dortmund, he opted for this loan to Forrest. That feels like a temporary solution. It does. Uh, long term, uh, what do you see for Gio? What would you recommend? Are you concerned about his situation? I am concerned. Uh, I'm concerned for multiple reasons. One, you change representation. Right. And so when you change representation, obviously your contacts change. Who's now representing them? That isn't really public. I'm, I'd be intrigued to know who's representing that because if you're really leaving Dortmund for Forrest, when six weeks before that, four months before that, Seville was Seville was the one where everyone was telling me that's where he's gonna end up going. Now I get it, they're in a relegation battle, but La Liga suits Giovanni Reyna. A relegation battle in English Premier League does not suit Giovanni Reyna. I don't care who you are and who you try to convince me on that. That's not going to work. With what happened at the World Cup, I am concerned that Gio will be now chasing this all the way around, trying to find himself when this is the most important part of his, I would say, player identification period of understanding who he is and who he wants to be. He is young enough to still have an unbelievable career. But these are the trying times as a player when you find out who you are and who you want to be. I don't know if he's going to get that answered for us. I hope I'm wrong because that means it helps Geo. It helps the U.S. men's national team. But I feel like when I come on this podcast this summer and we're previewing the Copa America and League's Cup and all this, I think we're going to have the same conversation. Where's Geo going to end up? What's his best team? Can he play in a system that doesn't suit just a pseudo 10 and an attacking player, someone that's got to contribute on both sides? I think we're going to be having this conversation in four months. I do, unfortunately, but I hope I'm wrong. All right, buddy. Let's finish up with some uh, rapid fire stuff. First, uh, U.S. men's national team rapid fire uh, off of the uh, discussion that we just have here. Uh, number one, does Greg Berhalter make it to 2026? No. Uh, how does the U.S. team do this summer in the Copa America? Get out of their group, lose the first game. How does the U.S. team do in the 2026 World Cup? Oh, man. They, 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 like, what's the schedule? <laughs> Whatever. I mean, you just, how, do, how, do I answer, how do I answer that question? But I, what's the format? Um, I, I, they get out of their group. They win one knockout game and they lose the next one I'll, to get to play the game. But who knows what that means? All right. Last U.S. men's national team question. Who starts at striker in the 2026 World Cup? Oh, wow. <laughs> Balligan. Okay. Uh, MLS rapid fire. Surprise team of 2024. Chicago Fire. Jesus. Um, breakout player of 2024 in MLS. Oh. 
Define breakout because I've got three, but I define breakout like a positive or negative. <laughs> Either one. It doesn't matter. Someone that's going to, you know, make us, uh, you know, pay attention. Oh, I think Yakomaki chases the goal scoring record of 2024. Oh, really? All right. So I do. So when I ask you the MVP for 2024, are you going with Yakomaki's too? Yes. And the, and the reason why is I do think he's going to blow the doors off, score goals. He's healthy. I think I think that's going to be a fun story to watch. And Alexi, you're going to love this. He's a villain. He's got a little bit of that where you just love it. All right. And ultimately, who wins MLS uh, MLS Cup? Not the Supporter Shield. Who wins MLS Cup in 2024? <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the Seattle Sounders. Really? Ah, oh, just yep. when I thought they couldn't get any more insufferable. If they're back on That's top. why I did it. That's why I did. They got new training center. You know, they they go out and spend money on a young player for the first time in a long time. Alexi, just feed feed the beast. Oh, I love it. I love it. Mossy, anything for Taylor before we go? I was gonna ask him top score in the league's cup, but we know it's gonna be Brandon Vasquez terrorizing MLS defenses like Hercules Gomez Ooh. did when he moved to Mexico. Wow. That's unbelievable, by the way, isn't it? Like Pat Noonan sitting there going, Really, dude? Ah, uh, listen, uh, we love having you on. Thank you so much for coming on. You're doing a wonderful job. You and everybody over there in front of the camera and uh, behind the camera. We love listening and watching everything that uh, you are doing. It's a pleasure to have you back. We've spent so many years uh, together and done so much. And I know that you, you live this game and whether it's MLS or any other part of it, you live this game and you want the best for it. And we are very, very blessed to be able to have you working in the game, my friend. So thank you so much. Get back to work. All right. I know you got a lot of messy to deal with. All right down there and then as you go Messi forward wants a cappuccino Messi actually wants a cappuccino hey, get him whatever he right needs now. buddy get him whatever he needs the great he Taylor Twelman toilet, ladies and he gentlemen the toilet seat up it's weird Alexi he likes the <laughs> toilet seat up is that odd <laughs> Too, oh too God, soon? you're wonderful. Your 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 cranium is enormous, but uh, I love you, buddy. See ya. <laughs> See ya. That man brings it, Mossy. He brings it every single time. Uh, interesting stuff, things that are people are going to think about, things that think are, uh, people are going to talk about it. Uh, like I said, you can see Taylor, Taylor Twelman every single week over there on Apple. He does a great job, and we thank him for coming back to the uh, State of the Union. All right, let's take another quick break, or our first quick break, and when we come back, we got some games going on uh, around the world. Okay, welcome back. Let's do a little recap action. Uh, we are coming to you here uh, late Wednesday, and so the Champions League action has just gotten done. Where, well, where should we start? Uh, on Tuesday, defending champions Manchester City claimed a 3-1 away win over Copenhagen. Kevin De Bruyne, who has been sensational since returning from injury, Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden got the goals. So City well on their way to the quarterfinals. It was, you know, not with a, a smoke and a coffee, but it was... The better team ultimately coming out on top. Ederson did his best to make things interesting yeah. in the first half. <laughs> did you think that, look, De Bruyne back is wonderful, and it's, 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 it's basically like Pep, like the rich just keep getting richer, having just this incredible signing coming, coming in. Did, but did you think that De Bruyne's goal, that it should have been saved? Goalkeeper should have done better. Okay. Thank you. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to be too critical because it did go perfectly and nestle perfectly in the far corner. But I just think that because the uh, the CBS crew after the uh, after the game, they went back and showed all different angles and they were assessing and X's and owing this and and all this kind of stuff. And they really were not happy with the way that it was defended. And I just kept thinking, you know, I, I think that that defense did enough to make it as predictable as possible as to what was going to happen. And at that point, you have to rely on your goalkeeper. I, I, goalkeepers always get so angry when you dive in and it deflects or it goes through your legs because their point is, I'm here to make the save. Let me Give me the ability to make the save and don't make it more difficult with the decisions that you make. I'm here to help you. I will save your ass. And in that instance, I think they did everything. The defense did everything right to give the opportunity for the goalkeeper to be the hero and he fluffed his lines. Would you say City clearly the favorites to repeat? Yeah, I, th I think so now. I, 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 Producer Sean doesn't think so. He's screaming in my ear right now. But he, he's got Inter written, uh, written in stone. Runners up last season. Okay, all right. Also on Tuesday, Real Madrid claimed a 1-0 away win over Leipzig. Brahim Diaz, who stepped in for the injured Jude Bellingham, scored a sensational goal early in the second half. Messi-esque. 
There was also an interesting refereeing decision early in this game. Shesko scored for Leipzig, but it was chalked off because Heinrichs was ruled to have interfered with Lunin. This seemed to divide opinions. What did you make of this decision? I did not think that the player interfered with the goalkeeper in that the goalkeeper didn't move. And if the goalkeeper moves, I mean, literally, if this goalkeeper just makes a courtesy dive, then I think you can argue that he interfered with it. So I, I disagree with the, uh, with the call. Um, and again, just standing in an offside position, just being in a place where you are, uh, you, you have the right to occupy a space. So yeah, I mean, I think it was a blown call, but I don't, I don't think this ultimately, I don't think this ultimately matters. I, I still think that the better team won. We go from Kylian Mbappe's likely future club to his current club. On Wednesday, PSG claimed a 2-0 home win over Real Sociedad. Mbappe and Barcola with the goals. So PSG in good shape. They'll go to Spain looking to protect that 2-0 advantage. Yeah, how do you leave Mbappe just sitting on the back post like that? It's not like this is just some guy that got his first start. It's arguably the best player in the world on a set piece where you're supposed to have everything at least covered. I mean, if he skies over you or just does something incredible, okay, fair enough. But this is just gifting a great player an opportunity. So um, PSG beating Sociedad isn't necessarily a, a big surprise, but come on, man, make give yourself at least a chance. Mbappe started down the middle flanked by Dembele and Barcola, and he's supposedly not thrilled about that, but he's willing to accept Luis Enrique's decision there. And that's part of the issue with Real Madrid. He doesn't want to play down the middle. He wants to play on the left, which would create a conflict with Vinicius. So Mbappe's position is a matter of discussion right now. Well, do you where he wants to play is one thing. Where do you think he is best? I've always thought that he could be this pre-injury Brazilian Ronaldo-esque center forward, where if you played him down the middle, he could still drop back, pick up the ball, and go on these slalom runs. So I'd like to see him there, but he's never embraced that. He likes to cut in from the left, yeah. which a lot of great players yeah. do these days. Uh, so we'll see. But the question is, he can dictate where he wants to play with PSG. With Real Madrid, will he be more accepting of wherever they want to put him? So uh, we'll see. Also on Wednesday, Lazio with a 1-0 home win over Bayern Munich. The key moment here in the second half, Upamecano whistled for a penalty on Isaksen, and he received a straight red card in the play. Immobile converted. So now Bayern have a hill to climb in this tie. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you're going to get a red card, make it worth it. I mean, <laughs> he, he didn't even come close to the ball, went over the ball, and then tried to argue his case, by the way, to a French referee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but it did not work out. Immobile steps up, finishes it easy, and it get, it goes from bad to worse. I guess if you're Bayern Munich, you thought, all right, well, can you know this? What I what we I think both agreed they have given away the Bundesliga title. Well, potentially given away the Bundesliga title, and now it's catching in terms of their dumb mistakes and ultimately bad results when it comes to uh, Champions League here. So not a not a good look for Bayern. Not completely insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination, but they did not look good again. Upamecano is always at the scene of the crime. Early in the second half, he had a bad giveaway that led to a clear chance. Luis Alberto with a lovely pass over the top to Isaacson and Neuer had to make a big save. That guy, he's talented, but he's very accident prone. I, there are There are center backs that I have watched over the years that play with reckless abandon. And I always was so jealous of their ability to do so. And part of it comes from they are good and the good far outweighs the bad. But they would do things, Upamecano is one of them, that I would never think to do because I was so scared that I would lose my place uh, or lose the ability to continue to play going forward that I was risk averse and I think you I think you have to be like that if you're a defender except some of the great defenders in history have just gone yeah whatever if I and I was also scared to death of not playing in that next game and you know getting that red card and yet I think they just 
many of these players just say, this is how I play and come hell or high water, this is what I'm going to happen. And the coaches and, and the teams obviously accept that. And I think he's just one of these players. But man, oh man, I wish I could have played with that type of reckless abandon. Uh, four more round of 16 first legs next week. We've got PSV Dortmund, Inter Atletico Madrid, Porto Arsenal, and Napoli Barcelona. Speaking of Barcelona, this upcoming weekend in La Liga, they're away to Celta Vigo, which means they have to contend with the inform Luca Della Torre. Yeah, Luca Della Torre. Um, you know, this is, we, we talked about him earlier this uh, week about what he is or what he can be and what version we're going to see when it comes to, uh, comes to the national team. But this is certainly going to challenge him. And I'm excited to see a Luca Della Torre 2024 version playing against, I know it's not the greatest Barcelona team, but still, this is going to be fun to see. In the Eredivisie, PSV play host to Ericles, and because they have one eye in the Champions League, a lot of people think Luke de Jong will be rested and Ricardo Pepe will be given a rare start. Is that what the uh, word on the street is? That is the word on the street. Well, he could he could use that. I mean, look, he's he's already doing good things. We're going to talk a little bit more about that striker position for the national team later on in the uh, the show here. But I would love if that is the case, so we can see him again in a starting type of capacity. I'll take the goals wherever they come from, and I'm sure he will, and anybody would. But if he can also show that, yeah, I can fill in, and who knows, maybe even challenge up top, that'll be good for him. We go to Italy next. Juve are away to Verona. On Monday, after we finished taping, Juve suffered a 1-0 home defeat to Udinese. So Inter are now seven points clear with a game in hand. It's pretty much over in Serie A. Timmy Way was handed a rare start in that game against Udinese. Was really poor, yanked off early in the second half. All the newspapers gave him low marks. And, you know, we talked about Musa recently. I was thinking about this. Uh, Timmy Way and Yunus Musa, I'm not overly concerned about either. I think they're both excellent players, but... They've gotten swept up in the Pulisic McKenney hoopla as part of this larger narrative about Americans thriving in Serie A this season. If you separate those two out, their seasons have actually not been all that successful. Because they're not consistently starting? Yeah, they're not playing as much. They're, when they do, they're not as productive. I feel like because yep. Pulisic and McKenney do so well, we sort of lump those two with them and talk about how Americans are doing great in Serie A. With those two, it's not as much the case. That's fair. Um, do you think Allegri is gone because he didn't live up to expectations of what this team can do? And is that fair? Yeah, you know, from a standings standpoint, finishing second to this Inter team, I don't think is that bad. But apparently they don't like the style of football. They think they're very bland and boring. And right. so that might be the issue with him. Well, Actually, yeah. uh, Sean Sullivan's guy, Tiago Motta, Bologna, has been mentioned as a possibility there. There we go. There we go. <laughs> oh, that would kill him. That uh, would kill him. Speaking of Yunus Musa, AC Milan, on Thursday, they face Rennes in the Europa League. And then at the weekend, Serie A, they're away to Monza. We'll see what Pulisic, Musa, and company can do there. So if in recent Pulisic appearances, it's been about playing 70 minutes, maybe being involved, maybe not being involved, but not embarrassing himself by any stretch of the imagination and then getting subbed off and somebody coming in. I, you know, I, I feel like we're due for a Pulisic moment uh, from an attacking perspective and in being involved in goals. I did see an article in CBSSports.com today that identified the five most overrated forwards in European football this season and had Pulisic number one. And wow. he brought out all these analytics to show that he actually hasn't been as good as the raw numbers might seem and that it's trending downward, which that is true. He hasn't been productive in 2024 so far. I thought that was a bit harsh, but nevertheless, that was an interesting take that goes against the conventional wisdom. That's from the uh, Paramount folks over there? Yeah, I'll, I'll get the guy's name before yeah. the podcast is over. They don't like America. Okay, nope. that's fine. One way uh, to go. We go to Ligue 1. We haven't checked in on Balogun in a while. Uh, Monaco play hosted Toulouse. Now, Balogun has not started a Ligue 1 game this calendar year. They're going with Ben Yedder instead, but he usually comes on as a sub when he's available. Uh, he did score from the penalty spot recently in a cup game. He's got two goals in his last 15 games for club and country, so we'll see if Balogun can get himself back on track. Well, I mean, we haven't, we haven't talked a lot about Balogun, and you know, I think we will be talking about him come the upcoming games with... Uh, uh, with the U.S. men's national team, and then obviously this uh, this summer and everything that's going to happen. But hmm, interesting, interesting. Although we did hear 
Taylor Twellman tell us that uh, he thinks that Balogun is going to be the starter for the uh, U.S. men's national team going forward. But I think there's going to be competition. And I don't know, I don't know if the bloom's off the rose yet, but he kind of needs to get his act in gear here and, uh, and continue to do things. Um, and hopefully it translates to the national team going forward. Uh, the CBS writer who identified Pulisic as the most overrated forward in Europe <laughs> is named James Benj, B-E-N-G-E. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. All right, James. Disagree, uh, disagree. And I believe America's great. And, uh, you know, if you don't, that's fine. <laughs> Finally, in the Premier League this upcoming weekend, Nottingham Forest will host West Ham. We'll see about Giorena. Third game, will he finally get well, the start? we talked earlier about at some point if it is just 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, then it is going to be a, uh, probably looked at as a failure um, in terms of this short-term loan. And as we mentioned with uh, with Taylor Twelman, there is some concern as to what this is ultimately going to be. I, at some point, you, you did the deal. And at some point, it'd just be nice for him to actually start and see and get into a flow of the game. Because as we know... A substitute rhythm is a very, very different type of rhythm than the flow of the game. And I, I think that Gio Reyna is much more suited to working into a flow and a rhythm of a game than coming on for 20 minutes. It's not that he can't be a substitute and have, uh, have an effect, but I just think that he susses things out as the game progresses and then adjusts accordingly better than just coming in and figuring it out in 10, 15, 20 minutes. That is it. Okay, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And keep in mind that on uh, social media out there, our handle is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. Mossy, what do the folks want to know this show? Uh, first up, a question on X. Django 2 Chain asks, with the Club World Cup expanding, will the winner actually be the best team in the world? So this has always been a, a question as, and we, <laughs> we were talking earlier with Taylor about the supporter shield and all that kind of stuff. And this Club World Cup has always been, at least the way that I've seen it, as a, a kind of afterthought tournament in terms of the attention and credence that people give it. Now with this expansion, I think it is going to have much more attention and therefore I think it's going to have much more of a say. And just purely from a competitive perspective with group phases and you know, then you go on to single elimination types of games, that kind of stuff in a much more traditional sense of what it's going to be, it's going to give us a much bigger sample size. And therefore I think that whoever ends up being the winner of the Club World Cup, the expanded Club World Cup, has a much more solid case of declaring themselves the best club team in the world. Obviously, from an international perspective and a national team perspective, those are, kind of, those are kind of separate. So, yes, I do think that the Club World Cup expanding is going to give that team that wins it the opportunity to say with much more credibility and much more heft that they are the best club team in the world. There's only one issue with that. What's that? There are going to be a host of European teams and even a couple of South American teams in the field that were not continental champions, that only got in because of their four-year coefficient ranking or however they do it. So is it weird for a team to be crowned world champion when they didn't win their region? No, because it is taking into account what they are. I mean, again, it's another bigger sample size, I think. So, and, and to your point, that could be dangerous because we know at times teams have anomalies and, and spikes and stuff like that. But I think in general, there's a feeling that if you have qualified for this through that coefficient, that you have produced a consistency that I, that I think like not just qualifies you, but gives you a value that I think is justified. For all the flaws with the current Club World Cup, it is just the champions of each region, and there's one team that's the domestic league winner of the host nation, but they never win it. So, um, but that's antiquated, isn't it? Really, in in this day and age, to have that type of stuff. I mean, when it, it's, I mean, it, it's called the Champions League, right? It, it and yet, to, to your, you have teams that finish fourth exactly. in their domestic. Exactly. Yeah, that's fair. So, 
Eddie, what else? Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, next, uh, Colin Luft on X asks. Has Josh Sargent cemented himself as striker number three for the Copa roster? Eight goals in 12 games in the championship so far this season. Hasn't missed a beat since returning from injury. Ooh, interesting. Um, Okay, so I think, what was it? Last year we did a striker power rankings or something like that. And, you know, when I start thinking about that striker position, I think that up until 2026, it is going to be a continual open position and therefore a continual competition for that striker thing. And so I do think what Josh Sargent has done, and we've talked about this before, is going to justify his call-ups from Greg Berhalter. And I do think that Greg Berhalter and his staff have a lot of time for Josh Sargent. And, uh, you know, his, what, eight goals now for Norwich, I think that's, that's great. He is doing what any national team coach would want you to do in a club situation in order to show that you have progressed and evolved. And I think for, for Josh in particular, he has gotten to be a better soccer player. And we'll see if that translates. So, yes, he's, yes, he's in the mix. I disagree with Taylor Twelman in that I don't think that Balogun is the, um, is the starter I, right now. Maybe in the future it happens, and maybe after all this competition, when it's all is said and done, that Balogun wins out. And maybe that's what Taylor was saying. But I don't think right now that you look at Balogun and say, you're the incumbent. I think that you have Sargent, you have Balogun, you have Pepe, you have Vasquez, who you mentioned. You even have you know some players coming along like Booth, or maybe a, even though we've kind of said that the train's left the station with the with Haji Wright, you keep scoring goals, you're not going to be able to ignore him. And it's in, in particularly with the striker position and people scoring goals. And then you have that next group that you know is starting up their MLS uh, season here with uh, Jesus Ferreira and I guess even Jordan Morris. White, Maguire, these types of players that potentially could come around in this next couple of years and do some things to really put their name into that competition. But I do think it's going to be a competition. I don't think it is going to be handed to Balogun as quickly and as easily and without a, as big a fight as people make it out to be. That's actually not necessarily a, a bad thing. Adding Balogun to the mix, I think, is wonderful. But I think that there are going to be others, either the ones that we just mentioned or maybe some others coming up that we haven't mentioned, that are going to say, not so fast. be interesting to see how many strikers there are on the Copa roster. Colin is presuming there's going to be a third. Uh, not so sure about that. Yeah, so Balogun, Sargent, and yeah, then it gets interesting if, there's, if, if there is one, to your point, and who that is with, like I said, the Pepe's and the Vasquez and stuff like that uh, coming through. And I, look, people can yell and scream, but Jesus Ferreira is still in the mix. And I do think that, you know, here's a guy that was starting in the World Cup here. And yes, it can change dramatically even uh, this, uh, this far o- away from it. But you never know. If he had been knocking in goals for Spartak Moscow, he'd be my starter. But he was deprived of that move. And so. Oh, my goodness. What else do we have? That's it. No, we got another one, don't we? I think there was another one here. Oh, yeah. Here we go. So, um, this, yeah, I ask everybody each morning, what are you yelling about? And, and uh, I know that, that Jesse had said this out. And producer Sean uh, had come in screaming and yelling about the cost of the, uh, the jerseys that are out. MLS is dropping all of their new jerseys and stuff like that. And it's, it's upwards of $200. So he was screaming about that, talking about how ridiculous this cost is. And who knows? It might be around 60, uh, you know, 160 or 170. But then if you add lettering and stuff, you're going to get into the $200 range. And a lot of people were just blown away by the cost of these jerseys. Now, to, to Jesse's point, if this is beyond the pale, if this is so egregious from an MLS perspective charging this amount, then the market will decide. The customer will decide whether it's Jesse or Sean or anybody else will decide in the form of not buying it. And this product will sit there and they will either take a loss or they will have to go about changing that price in order to accommodate the folks out there that say, no, this is not what I am going to do. This is not what I am going to spend. Or there are people out there that are going to buy it. And MLS and Adidas uh, and anybody else that is involved are going to continue to make money because people have to have it and they are going to find the money out there. And therefore, 
It was properly priced. As crazy as it may sound to Jesse or anybody else, uh, anybody else out there. Um, I don't know. We're going to uh, we're going to see ultimately, like I said, what the market does for something like this, because I know a lot of people were angry and they may scream and yell and then ultimately still plop their credit card down for uh, for this. And this is a business. And I know when I say that people get uh, get crazy, but that is the reality of it. And if it's something that either just don't want to pay for it or you can't afford, uh, that's fine. And maybe the market will adjust when it comes to uh, it comes to these jerseys. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. Okay, good. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's the end of the sh- end of our show, and I'll give you my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. And you know what, Mossy? I'm going to call an audible. All right, we just got done with the Super Bowl. I'm going to call an audible, and I'm going to deviate from what uh, we were going to talk about, or what I was going to talk about, because you know, when we have good things that happen to good people, it deserves uh, our attention, it deserves our praise, and it deserves our celebration. Now, we have talked about producer Sean, Sean Sullivan, over the years, and we are incredibly fortunate to have a lot of people, men and women, that make us look good. It does take a village. Uh, and in particular, when it comes to producer Sean, he has been so wonderful in taking this little thing that we do that is the State of the Union and making it better. And while we certainly appreciate and recognize it on the inside, everything that he has done, it's also good to know that out there on the outside, there are people that are recognizing him. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mossy, but while we have talked about Sean over the years, I don't think that we have ever had him actually on the show. And so what I'm going to do here is I am going to invite, no, I am going to demand that the great Sean Sullivan comes out here and graces us with his presence because um, it's important because we want to celebrate and let you in on the fact that Sean Sullivan uh, has just been awarded the North American Soccer Business and Media Award, all right? And it is celebrating excellence in North American soccer. And this is something that we are so proud of. Here you can see right right there, Sean Sullivan, producer, digital talent production and story talent. Uh, He is a, what they would call a rising star over there. Now, I'm going to read this, Sean, so I'm not going to embarrass you here. No, no, no. This this prestigious category recognizes individuals who have demonstrated outstanding skills, innovation, and dedication, positioning themselves as future leaders and influence in the field, and it distinguishes the most promising talent driving the soccer injury or industry forward so congratulations thank on you. your award and thank you my friend thank you tell guys. the folks uh, uh how you feel at this award oh i'm honored i mean uh I've, I've been working on soccer now what like a year and a half and i'm already getting a soccer award so um i wouldn't have been able to get a, a recognition without you guys so well really let me let me guys. embarrass you a little bit here yep. because uh, unlike you two young whippersnappers, I've been around for a while, okay? And uh, I have had the pleasure of working with a lot of people, as Moss will attest to. We've had a lot of producers over the years. Uh, most of them, thankfully, have been, have been wonderful mm-hmm. and have helped build this into what it is. But you have come along and, like I said, taken it to a different level. And what I love about you and what I think, even you know, when we're talking about you, what I think our listeners and our viewers uh, can appreciate and I think feel and hear when we're talking about you is that you are this new generation of people in American soccer that come from a, you know, an incredible history of American soccer with all the good and the bad on mm-hmm. and off the field. Um, but you are doing exactly what you want to do. And I talk about this when it comes to, you know, the likes of John Strong and everything. And it just, it warms the cockles of my heart that you are part of our team and everything that you do, this could not have been awarded to anybody better uh, out there. So thank you for everything uh, that you do. Thank you for being a part of the soccer community that we have out there uh, and everything that you have done over the years and all of the support. You take ownership of it. You defend it like it is yours because That's it nice. is yours. And I love the fact that you are being recognized in honor for that. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Almost speaking of Taylor Twelman, I almost pulled a, what are we doing when we did not go to our one for the road that we were planning on doing? So, well, uh, I'm, I'm you, happy that, that this happened. This is awesome. Guys. Well, you have a lot of people that uh, love and respect you and they were able to pull this together. And we wanted to make sure that this was a surprise to you. Uh, 
uh, the, the award's not a surprise. You knew that you uh, you won that, but mm-hmm. at least to get you out here and let the people uh, see you in all your glory and thank you publicly for everything that you do and continue thank to you do. Don't let, it, don't let it go to your head, my friend. Nope, not at all. My head's already big enough. Don't need to get any bigger. So that's the last of where we need to win. So. All right, get the hell off our set. All right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wonderful. Mossy, anything before we go? Yeah, the only thing I would quibble with here <laughs> is... All right, here we go. Was there an age cutoff? Because to me... Aaron Schechter is a rising star. Kyla is a rising star. Jack is a rising star. Sean Sullivan is an established star. He's been in the game. Did you just call him old or what? What do you think he's older? Yeah. Hey, listen. The, these these like young Chris Wenke winning the Heisman. Yeah. No. I mean, this is uh, these young pups. They're going to get their day too. Okay. And and I will reiterate, it it does take a village. It takes so many people to make us look halfway competent, um, and they they struggle on a consistent basis. The ultimate compliment I can pay to Sean Sullivan is our original producer was Fran Arthur, and the fact that he's been able to clean up her mess. He cleans up a lot of messes yes. out, out there. All right, listen, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Again, a thanks to, uh, to Taylor Twelman for coming on again to the show. He's always wonderful. Uh, keep downloading, keep reviewing, keep rating, uh, keep uh, you know doing all the different things that you do out there on all the social media platforms uh, or wherever you get the State of the Union. Keep watching uh, and keep listening and doing all that. We, as we said, have so many people, men and women, that are behind the camera that make us look good and are working hard to give you the best State of the uh, Union that you possibly possibly can. It is a labor of love. It's still a labor and we're glad to have all of these people with us. We will talk to you again next week. Have a wonderful time watching all the soccer this week, uh, this weekend. And until then, and as always, my friends, congratulations, Sullivan, and size the day.